We're going to uh, hear about that river now and uh, we're going to look at two passages. The first is in uh, the Gospel of John, just briefly Jesus' words uh, about the river of life and uh, then we're going to go on to read the passage in Ezekiel. It might be familiar to you if you've been in the church for a while but it is that beautiful passage of the river of life flowing out of our worship, flowing out of our intimacy with God into the temple. But first let's hear uh, in the words of uh, Jesus. Uh, as he speaks in the book of John. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant that the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive, up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And that's Jesus referring really directly to this passage now that we're looking at in Ezekiel. There should be some beautiful images that come up as we look at it. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. Another thousand cubits and he led me through water that was knee deep. Another thousand and he led me through water that was up to the waist. Another thousand, but now it was a river that I couldn't cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river with trees on each side. He said to me, when this water empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish, so where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore, from En Gedi to En Eglem. There will be places for spreading of nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. For every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. Holy Spirit, we pray now that you would speak through your word to us, that you would change us, that you would inspire us, that you would give hope to us, give challenge to us where it's needed. Lord, thank you that your word is life to us. May we receive it now in the power of your spirit. Amen. Good morning. Uh, Warm welcome to you. And uh, I know it's a little bit late, but happy new year from myself as well. Uh, Anyone make any new year's resolutions? Um, There was a a friend of mine who, his new year's resolution was to stop hanging around with people who ask him about his new year's resolutions. So I was was hoping he'd be here this morning, uh, just especially for that. Uh, Someone's very cleverly defined a new year's resolution as something that goes in one year and comes out the other. Here's a good one. Dear God, my prayer for 2017 is a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix it up like you did last year. I'm not sure that's a resolution. I think that's abdicating responsibility, if I'm honest. 
But life seems to be so much about trying to find that elusive something that we've not quite found. You know, people talk about a God-shaped hole in our lives. And maybe that's a little bit too simplistic. Um, yes, we're to, we're to love God, but also we're to love one another and, and our neighbors as ourselves. Um, but as we read of uh, Jesus' life, as he grew up in Luke's account, it tells us that he grew in four different dimensions. He grew spiritually. He grew in, his, uh, in favor with God. He grew uh, relationally in favor uh, with other people, with men. Um, his thinking, his behavioral dimension, if you like. He grew in wisdom and how he lived his life. And he grew in stature, his physique, his, his, his health, his, his uh, kind of physical well-being in all of that as well. But there is still, right at the heart, right at the core part of each one of us, this deep down kind of restlessness uh, for something. You know, people are looking for, for meaning in life. They're looking for purpose in life. People are looking for what real life is all about. People are looking for real love in their lives uh, and for significance. What, what value do I have in this world? You know, one of seven billion on the planet. People are looking for understanding who they are, trying to find themselves at different stages of life. People are looking for acceptance in life. People are looking for satisfaction and searching for that in so many different ways. And people are looking for a framework of security to protect ourselves in this world, um, an increasingly dangerous world that we find ourselves in. And uh, we look to fill that with all sorts of different things, you know, and the world will give us plenty of uh, menu options to do that. And there's, within us, there's this sort of invisible appetite, this unknown appetite that demands to be fed by something. So what is the key to this restless heart? You know, the, the need for love and for affirmation, belonging and acceptance means that we, 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 put, we put friendships in, we put relationships in, we want the laughs, we want the nights out. Um, and often we misuse those friendships and relationships to serve ourselves, or we become driven by uh, the kind of the culture of today, the fear of missing out um, because we're desperate to be part of something. You know, the pain of loss and of disappointment um, hurt or rejection in our lives perhaps means that we fill it with things that will numb the pain whether it's drink or drugs or something else to forget the pain distract us to comfort us um, or even sometimes to project the pain onto other people the need for security in our lives means we're often pursuing money and stuff and other protective measures and insurances um, that will give us that security the desire for significance in our lives. Purpose, meaning, leads us to pursue sometimes work practices that are unhealthy as we're driven towards being significant in this world. And we, we, we build our lives around wrong priorities, often at the expense of the people around us. And it can even be that we pursue religion or some philosophy that will somehow help us live life better in some way. And I think at different stages of our lives, we probably try different ones of those. Um, we try pursuing different ones and usually we get to the stage of our life we think well the last one I pursued really didn't live up to everything that it was cracked up to be but I'll still pursue the next one I'll probably come to the same conclusion uh, five years down the line uh, whether it's the, the new promotion or pursuing that next experience that we look for Interestingly, Prince Charles said this uh, in one of his speeches. He said, there remains deep in the soul, if I dare to use that word, a persistent and unconscious anxiety that something is missing, some vital ingredient that makes life truly worth living. 
And St. Augustine, who's uh, often paraphrased by the likes of C.S. Lewis, Blaise Pascal, these great thinkers uh, of the centuries, um, said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And apparently St. Augustine, you know, St. Augustine was actually a pretty rebellious guy. Um, it was only much later in life that he kind of became a Christian and, and kind of did it big time, as it were. But that was his background. But God, we read of, wants to fill our lives with a deep sense of his love, of his purpose, and empower us to live that life. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans in uh, the church in Roman five, Romans 5, 5, that God pours out his love, pours it out into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Now, those of you this morning might be here and identify yourself very much as a Christian. You've come to terms with this kind of concept, this teaching that God fills our lives and you know that God fills that deep restless core uh, of your being. But perhaps you know that on a Sunday but very often forget about it on a Monday. You know, you're able to open your Bible and and, uh, read about it and it's very real with you in the morning but as soon as you leave it, then he doesn't seem to travel with you. Um, he doesn't travel with you to the office or he doesn't travel with you into the classroom or into the uni or into the college um, or into the shops, the coffee shops where you meet your friends or onto the streets or into your leisure activities, uh, wherever it may be, the daily grind, is he really there? Um, so we think he's here, but we're not so sure if he's there. You know, we, we think he's, he's in between the leather of our Bibles, but we're less sure if he's in between the leather bits of our briefcase as we go into the workplace. We think he's here when things are going well in our lives, but we're not so sure when things aren't going so well in our lives. And this book of Ezekiel speaks into all of this. So just by way of introduction to it, the people of, of, uh, of Israel, the people of God had been in, in Israel in Jerusalem, and they had a temple there which is where God was. God was really present with them. He did powerful things amongst them and protected them as a nation in so many ways. But the people go off the rails. Um, and so God eventually says, okay, enough's enough. And he, and he kind of, the, the place is ransacked. The Babylonians come over, they march through modern day Syria into modern day Iraq, which was Babylon. And uh, he basically puts them on the naughty step. Okay, they're basically in a place where they're thinking, is God here? I don't really wanna be here. This is not the place that I chose to be. The temple's destroyed, Jerusalem's ransacked, and they're exiled into Babylon. How is life gonna work out now? Is God really here now? And so the first chapters of Ezekiel are about that. They speak into that. And they're a bit weird, to be honest. If you read Ezekiel chapter one, it is a bit weird. There's some crazy, crazy visions that they have there of these living creatures with four faces and lots of wheels, wheels intersecting wheels, and you're thinking, what is this about? But these wheels can go in every direction, north, east, west, and south. And in a nutshell, what it is about is saying that God can be everywhere. He is not restricted to Jerusalem. He is not restricted to the temple. He is not restricted to just being at work in in Israel. He can be anywhere and everywhere. He has a visa to Babylon. He has a passport and will travel. This is the God that they have that Ezekiel's mind reminding them of. Okay, he has a lanyard into your workplace so he can get past security. Okay, he has a membership of your sports club. He has um, a desk in your classroom or in your office. 
You know, he has a WhatsApp for your group chat, right? He's involved in the every, every bit of every day that he possibly can be. He's present with you. John Ortberg says this, he says, to believe as Jesus did doesn't mean to just believe that God exists. It means to believe that he is present always, that he is always present. And so in Babylon, we see that in Daniel's life. And if you want to read the account of Daniel and some amazing things in there, I encourage you to have a look at that. And Daniel and his friends believed that. They believed that God was present with them in Babylon. And uh, we see his remarkable endeavors there. No, Joseph was another one who believed that God was present with him when he was in Egypt, when he was in the prison, when he was in the palace. And God does amazing things to him. And you can read about him in the last 14 chapters of Genesis. And in every case, God's kingdom comes. God's kingdom comes. And the word kingdom, it just has two bits to it, king and dome. Okay, a dome is, a, is like a sphere of influence where we let God be king, where we get God be number one in our lives, where we trust him, where we believe he's present and we obey him as he leads us and calls us in all of that. And as we live like that, God's kingdom comes. And so Ezekiel 47 is a picture of the temple and of this river that is transforming the world. It is this picture of God's kingdom and is the passage that we're gonna look at through this uh, short series of three over the coming weeks. And it's a foundational concept to Riverside. It's, It's where Riverside gets its river bit from in its name. And it's the idea that the church is a force, that a church goes out into the world and makes a difference. And there's a key chapter in a book by Jerry Cook, which uh, many of you will have read, an old friend, an old, old friend of Riverside's. And he paints a picture in there of how he sees church should be. And there are many churches, particularly in his neck of the woods in North America, where the church model is a church is a field. So basically everything the church does is between the four walls of the church. Okay, everything that happens on a Sunday, that is church and, and nothing else. And so the whole model there is you've got to publicize church. You've got to have the biggest spire. You've got to have the most visibility so that people who are walking their kids to school will say, oh, what a great church. I might pop in and go and see that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with publicity. There's nothing wrong with visibility. But what Jesus teaches in the parables in uh, Matthew 13 and verse 38 is the field isn't the church. The field is the world. Okay, the field that we're to work in is the world. The church is it's not a building, it's a people. It's the people of God going out and serving people in the world and meeting people's needs in Jesus' name. Uh, wherever the people are then, the church is, assuming that they're living kingdom lives. So we're to encourage one another. We're to encourage one another to be spirit-filled people who can meet others' needs in Jesus' name, whatever that looks like. And so then we gather to worship, to celebrate, to share stories as we've done this morning, uh, read the Bible in an environment that, that doesn't have all the muck of the week in it. You know, there's no profanity, hopefully. Um, it's a pure, clean, loving environment. And it's not there so that we just survive to next week. It's there so that we can go out and work and do the work of God's kingdom through the week, wherever we find ourselves, and make a difference uh, through that. So that's the church um, as a force. Okay, a conduit for God's spirit, a conduit for God's kingdom uh, into our world. And that's the picture of Ezekiel 47, verses one to 12. This river that brings life wherever it flows, verse nine. And it's often said that as Christians, we have a lot of religion in our hearts. We have a good bit in our heads, but often we have a little bit less in our feet. Um, And we need all kinds of shoes. 
as we go into our worlds. You know, we need rugby boots and football boots as people get involved in our football teams and uh, all the rest of it. You know, Rail Riverside, um, that is what they're being part of. They're trying to reach other guys across this city. And anybody who gets involved in that or feels called into that, make a difference in there uh, with that. You can wear other things, uh, hockey boots, lacrosse boots are also relevant here, whatever your sport is. Trainers, shiny black shoes, high heels in the business and corporate world, you know, where you find yourself walking. I'm not quite sure how slippers got on there, but I'm sure God can use you in your slippers. Sandals, flat shoes, maybe even wellies. You know, wherever our feet take us through the week, Okay, God um, wants to be with us. And so the challenge is fill your boots. Okay, fill your boots with God um, as we go into our world through the week and let his kingdom come. John 7, verse 38, whoever believes in me, said Jesus, as the scripture has said, streams or rivers of living water will flow from within them. And as Judy said, this is a reference really back to the river of Ezekiel 47, the flow of God's spirit. In fact, uh, the word river, um, it's a plural word that Jesus, is, Jesus uses here, and its root word is potamus, similar to the old hippopotamus, which, uh, you know, if you know your Greek, hippo is, is horse and potamus is river. So it's, the, it's the, 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 the horse of the river is the old hippopotamus. Anyway, a little sideline there for you. Uh, but the idea is that it's a forceful river. Okay, the, the Nile was, had a lot of mythology around it and it was considered to be like a raging bull, you know, in full flood and, and all the rest of that. Okay, and the hippopotamus, I would imagine if you came face to face to one in a river, would you be a pretty forceful character. But Jesus uses the plural rivers and you could just imagine perhaps all the rivers of the world, you know, the, the Nile, the Jordan, the Ganges, the Mississippi, the Danube, all of those coming together. And there's a sense of this is inexhaustible. This is an abundance uh, of God's uh, provision here, of rushing waters perhaps coming down the ravines when there's been the, you know, the lots of rains and it's, it's not stuck to just the waterfall. It's coming over the sides uh, and all of that. Um, as well. But the key thing is it's a river that flows. Okay, it's not stagnant, it is moving, it's moving out. And interestingly, it starts as a trickle. Okay, the trickle's at the temple. If you want the deep water, it's not at the temple. The deep water's out there in the world. You know, hearing what um, uh, Sophie and, and Natalie have been doing, you know, stepping out into some prison in Malta, that's about as far as out you can get, and seeing God at work. It's as you step out that you find the real depth of it in all of that as we obey God and as he calls us in those things. But as this river flows out, it hits the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is dead because it has no outflow, okay? It takes in water, it evaporates, it takes in water and it evaporates and it just gets saltier and saltier. There's no outflow. And where there's no outflow, then it, it just dies. There's nothing can live there. But as this river hits it, it has such force and such vibrance and such freshness, it allows things to live. And, uh, and that's the difference that God's spirit makes through us um, and in us in all of that. But the rivers of this living water, Jesus says, literally flow from within these people, okay, from his disciples. It literally flows out from them. This living water will flow from his disciples into the world and be available to others, for anyone else who's thirsty, who anyone else who will believe. You know, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. 
And we're the people that, that can, can show them that and give them that um, if we're those that know him in ourselves. And if you're here this morning and you're searching for these things that we put up, and you're looking for meaning in life, if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, then even this morning you can come and be filled. God is here to meet with you. So there's a force and there's a fullness to this river that transforms lives and transforms communities. Um, and it comes through God's kingdom people, the church um, as a force. There's also the source of this force. Well, actually, the force is a, is a wrong, wrong idea, really, because Jesus tells us it's a person. It's God himself. So Jesus refers to this picture of the river flowing, and he says this is the spirit of God himself um, whom those who believed in him would receive. And Ezekiel, in chapters 40 onwards, kind of paints this vision or has this vision of a future temple considered by some to be the millennial temple when Jesus returns. But the key application for us is that the source of the, the river, the, the place where it starts, is, is the temple. It's the place where the Jews met with God. It's where God was present in all of that. The place of worship, the place of connection, if you like, with God for them. But Jesus comes to them and he says to them, at the temple, which is where he is when he says this in John 7, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You know, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within them. The source of this river is not actually a place, it's a person, and the person is Jesus. He's the one that we come to to find our deep human need for love and for security and for significance, for healing, for wholeness, for any part of life. He's the one who ultimately satisfies those deep hungers of the human heart that we touched on at the beginning and now gives us purpose and power to live out the life and transform our world that he calls us to. But we can also learn some parallels from the Old Testament kind of temple idea and the structure of that. There's a Dutch theologian, Abraham Kuyper, who said that the structure of every human being resembles in some way the structure of the temple or in its simplest form, the, the tabernacle, the, the kind of the portable one that they took around with them. And it basically had a, had a kind of fence around the outside, um, the outer courts, and then it had a building with the, the holy place um, with the altar in it, and then there was the holiest of places, the sac most sacred place, the Holy of Holies, uh, where only the high priest could go. And uh, the outer courts, if you like, is, is a little bit like our open lives. It's our public image. It's the, the bit that we see of one another. It's the bits that you'll go away and evaluate after this <laughs> that you've seen, okay? It's, it's our lives exposed um, in public. The holy place. That has restricted access. The other place everyone can come, but this place has restricted access. We only invite certain people in to that part of our lives. Um, and they're the, they're the people that we share with. They're the people that we pray with, that we're close to, and we find life as a result of that. And you know, there are, there are a few people in our lives that we can tell everything to, or most things to. There are people that we can confess to, and that we can then pray, receive forgiveness, and strength for the future. And in fact, inviting the right people in to that part of our lives, that holy place, if you like, might be the biggest predictor of the longevity of the integrity of your life. You know, if your faith is still strong in 10, 20 years, it may be because of those people that we've invited in uh, to encourage us in that way. And then the third part of it, the holy place, the third part of it is the most sacred place, the holy of holies. And this is a very small place. This is a carefully guarded place. 
or it was, that there was, there's only room in there for one person and God. In the Old Testament, it was the high priest. Fortunately, in you, um, we have open access, but it's still for you and God, just you and God. That's an incredible privilege. It's an unspeakably precious thing. And actually, if all is not well there, then no matter what glory or success we seem to have in the outer courts, whatever we get before uh, uh, men's, men's eyes out there will not ultimately sustain us. Okay? But if all is well in that center place, if your life with God is good and he's real and he's whole, then it doesn't matter what happens in the outer courts. It doesn't matter what the disturbance is, what the challenge is. Ultimately, it will not be able to destroy us because we've got it right in the place that matters. And when we look at Jesus' life and how he prayed, we see this. You know, this place that he had with his father, um, that, that relationship they had, and then all the life-bringing stuff and the life-giving stuff flowed from there, like the river that we've read of. And things were not always easy for even Jesus. You know, things were tough for him. He faced all the challenges that we faced, and yet he found this place uh, there. You know, he was challenged in the outer courts. You know, even in the last week, that's where he was questioned, where he was challenged by the, 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 you know, the, the religious leaders and, the, and all of that. And yet he goes off to pray. You know, he, he goes off to pray when he's sad and frightened. You know, he, he reads, uh, hears that John the Baptist has been arrested, his forerunner, and then ultimately killed. And he takes some time out to, to pray through all of that. He goes off to pray when he needs strength for his work and for his ministry. You know, he goes off to pray when he's concerned about loved ones. You know, think of Simon Peter. And he knows that Simon Peter's gonna face some trials and he's gonna be tested. And, and interestingly, he doesn't lecture him and he doesn't try to fix him. But what he says is, Simon Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And maybe that's something for you this year. Maybe there are friends or family. And actually that's the prayer you need to be praying, that, that, that their faith will not fail at that time. You know, he prayed when he had insurmountable problems in the Garden of Gethsemane you know, before his crucifixion, his execution. And yet there he prays and surrenders his will to the Father. <clears throat> so connection with God in that inner place, that private room, gives us great strength for the outer life. How we need it to be well in that place. John 7, again, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, says Jesus, streams, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And the Greek word here for, for within is, is this word koilia. Okay, I think that's how you say it. It basically means a hollow, okay, a cavity, um, an empty place. And it's, it's translated in different ways depending on the context in the New Testament. So in some places it's translated as your belly or your bowel. Okay, so when Jesus talks about us taking food and he says it goes through our stomachs and our bowels and, and out the other end, okay? That cavity, if you like. It talks about it being a womb or a uterus. So when the baby, you know, the, the, the baby leaps in his mother's womb, that's the word, that, that cavity uh, where it is. It means our innermost being uh, on occasion, okay? That, that, that spiritually empty place where all our longings come from, the seat of our emotions. Um, it's, it's used to translate our appetites in Philippians 3.19 and Romans 16.18, you know, referring metaphorically to those kind of strong inner desires that we have, those appetites we have, those worldly greeds that we have that 
crave to be gratified uh, instantly on those situations. And so it's that, that empty place, if you like, in the hearts of men and women that search and source and want to see meaning and purpose. And God's solution for it is to fill us, is to fill us with his Holy Spirit, the living water from the Spirit. And that is a deep change that happens uh, in every one of us that Jesus brings about um, at the very core of our beings. You know, amazingly, Almighty God comes and enters our life in the deepest, most personal place and takes up residence uh, in there and brings that life. And at the time when Jesus stood up and announced this was on the last and greatest day of the feast. This was the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, It was a Jewish celebration um, of God's provision, particularly through the wilderness. Some of you will know the stories from Exodus where they complained and wanted food. They complained and wanted water. Exodus 17, Moses is there in verse six and God says to him, "I I will stand before the rock, I'll be present and I want you to strike the rock with my staff and out will come water. And this is what they used to reenact. So that's what they were celebrating every day. And on the last day of this feast, the priest would go to uh, the pool of Siloam. They would sing their psalms together. The people would follow him. He'd march them up to the temple with his his pitcher full of water. He'd pour it out on the side of the the, the thing. In fact, they would recite Isaiah 12, verse 3, which says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Uh, the, word for, the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. Okay, is literally, the Greek translation is what Jesus is. So it literally means, with joy you will draw water from the wells of Jesus, the deliverer, the one who saves, that's what his name means. And then they'd march back to the temple, round the water gate, round the altar, and then he'd pour it out as a kind of prophetic dramatization of the river of Ezekiel 47. And it's at this point that Jesus jumps up and says, if you're thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink this water and I will give you real water for life. And so we can be part of his mission. Okay, we can be part of this life transforming, transforming kingdom. You know, bringing his kingdom wherever we go, being transformed in the process and helping others also. And his great commission um, at the end, before he left, he said, kind of big thing, go into all the world, or as you are going, as you are wearing those shoes, as you're wearing the slippers, as you're wearing the rugby boots, the football boots, the black leather shoes, wherever you go, as you're going, make disciples. You know, teach people uh, about me, everyone, of all nations, no matter what background they are, just talk to people about it, share your story, share something of this kingdom, and teach them to be, and I will be with you, with you. I'll be present with you. That's his great commission. That's his first great commission. His second great commission to his people was to wait in Jerusalem, was to wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. Wait in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit so that you will be my witnesses. So there's a filling, a filling from God, and then there's a flowing with God. There's that initial filling that each one of us Uh, needs in our lives, but then there's that ongoing flowing as we continue to maintain that through praise, through reading this, through obedience to him, and letting it flow through our lives as well. So this morning, it may be that you're here and you need to ask him to fill you, or perhaps you're here and you already know you have his spirit, but the flow just needs unblocking um, for this year. You know, one of my least favorite jobs, 
is unblocking the sink. Okay? It is a horrible job. Unblocking the drain is an even worse job. Okay? You never do it until you have to do it because there's some horrible things in there that, with little green eyes and all sorts that you've never seen before. It takes a bit of time, but once it's unclogged, there's not that stagnant smell, but there's that fresh flowing water that comes out. And there can be some horrible stuff in there, guaranteed. And we can, we can be very happy with just leaving it lying in there until we need to. But then there comes a time of action. So maybe at the start of this year, you know, let's find that one-to-one place with God. You know, and let's just begin to unblock with him the things that are in our hearts.